Ah, yes, friends. On a Tuesday, for the first time, as far as you're concerned, this is OGP, the one giant podcast. I'm Adam Arbeck. Over there is the healthy, wealthy, and wise Andrew Makowitz. And again, fresh, no technical difficulties, no do-overs. We're ready to roll. Adam, Yankees won 10 straight, so any any New York fan out there has to feel good about the state of baseball. Mets and Yankees looking pretty good. You know, we're kind of getting closer to the dog days of summer. I know we're still in spring, but after the draft, after the options are picked up, and after some, you know, coaches and scouts decide to walk out the door, uh, we can, we can start focusing on some other things other than the draft, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, of course. Listen, we said it uh, on our last episode. We broke down all the draft picks that the Giants brought in. Obviously, a really nice haul for them. We're going to go in deeper on some of those players like McFadden at the linebacker position and just really see how it fleshes out from a depth perspective. We may not get all the way into it because at least at this point right now, there's still a handful of things to talk about uh, on the top level here from James Bradbury still being on the roster and what that could look like, needing to create the cap space to sign all of these draft picks, and then also undrafted free agents, as we talked about. There's a couple of names, and one in particular, that both Andy and I, before we even got on, ended up pointing to and saying, yeah, here's a guy for a number of reasons. So we'll touch on him in a minute, but as you mentioned, right off the top, um, the, the draft ends, and seemingly moments later, Chris Pettit out with the New York football Giants. Uh, Joe Shane making, he had made moves ahead of the draft. He made moves when he was first hired, wanted to get into the building, wanted to meet with everyone. Uh, but this felt like, as you're going to you're gonna break down here, Andy, a move that was somewhat anticipated, almost not even inside the building, but universally around the NFL. Well, so for those people that are not familiar, Chris Pettit is the director of college scouting for the Giants. He's been uh, with the well, he was, um, you know, since 2005 has been part of this, the college scouting department uh, was, was part of the, uh, of the scouting team that uh, helped win two Super Bowls for the giants in the last almost 15, 20 years. Um, Chris Pettit was let go by Joe Shane, basically the day after the draft. And what I think is fascinating about this, Adam, is that universally, People are rejoicing right now at the idea of Chris Pettit no longer being here. And there's there's a couple of different things, and there's layers to this. Chris Pettit, uh, you know, regarded as a guy that is not very easy to work with, is, you know, someone that thinks he's better than everyone else from all underlying scouts underneath him. was It was a, a tyrant and terrible to work with, disrespected people, yelled and screamed at them, was not a good person. He also was responsible for having final say over Dave Gettleman's draft board right before they got ready to go into the draft. So when you see things like Saquon Barkley being picked number two, or you see some of the misses that they had on second and third round picks, Chris Pettit was the one putting his name next to it. But because Chris Pettit was around during the Super Bowl years, and because he had familiarity with, with ownership and John Mara, he has been around and had a larger than life voice within the organization, driving a lot of the decisions that the team has made about draft picks and other considerations on this team. Sure. And I mean, listen, so from that standpoint, we know uh, the track record of the New York football giants. As you said, some players we've gotten excited about like a Matt Pert, right? Now cut two. it doesn't look like he's going to necessarily pan out. The thing I'll say, the one guy you mentioned there, you, you touch on a guy like Dave Gettleman, you can go back previous regime and Jerry Reese. Guess what? If you're and this ties into Joe Shane. Now, if you're the general manager, you're the name on the draft class, not the head of college scouting, understanding that you need to be able to trust and rely on people underneath you. At some point, you have to be able to take authority over 
these are the guys that I like, or at least at the very least, let's go with Dave Gavin, right? I know who these players are, right? So I can say, if you come in and tell me, well, I've got him 15 spots higher, 40 spots higher, whatever the case may be. I have some baseline of information to determine whether or not that is valid. I don't think I would put it on the same way to Jerry Reese going back to his time as general manager. But you can certainly look at Dave Gettleman, someone who who seemingly was operating under the old, you know, I've been around this a long time. I can go with my instincts here, which can be a real big detriment when you're in an organization that has maybe propped up someone and is unwilling, as we've heard, you know, we've seen from John Mara, unwilling to move on from people, right? Loyal to a fault, sticking by guys far too long. And that can lead to what may have been the worst combination for the Giants. A head scout like Chris Pettit combined with a slightly detached Dave Gettleman ends up resulting in the kind of draft you get. Well, so Adam, there are rumors, and this is also just allegedly, I'm not, I'm not reporting anything as fact, but this is kind of the wave that's been going on. Um, this happened so quickly after the draft. There's a couple of things that people are, are saying, you know, some have, have stated within the building, this is going on. One is Chris Pettit wasn't really actively involved in putting together everything. Like he created a board, but I don't really think that it was the board that Joe Shane had. If you look at a lot of the draft picks and you look at a lot of the undrafted free agents, they all came from places that Joe Shane went to visit himself and saw yep. with his own eyes. Look at all the guys from university of North Carolina that the giants have brought in. You know, Joe Shane was there at, at the UNC Pro Day. And and so, like, the first part of it is interesting that it seems like anywhere that he went in person was more indicative than maybe some of the other um, draft picks that could have been, you know, highly ranked. Yeah, so, okay, here, and here's the part to me, because it's gone around, too. Everyone, everyone hates this guy. Everybody wants to be able to throw a little bit of dirt on the grave, and that's great. Go ahead and, you know, enjoy yourself. The most important part of this to me is that Joe Shane is in total control of the organization, right? It, it would not, it does not feel like, and Dave Gettleman wasn't going to fire anybody. <laughs> he had no reason to, but it didn't feel like anyone could make a decision underneath John Mayer's ownership until he signed off or until he fully let it go or until he wrote a scenario like Eli Manning and wanting to still win all the way to the darkest possible end of the line before being forced to acknowledge it. The other thing that I'll say is, on the one hand, you like that Joe Shane walks in here and we feel good about a lot of the draft picks. What I do wonder is that means that the Joe Shane had to rely on more heavily the places he was able to get to and the players that he was able to scout, which does make it interesting. And the idea of a handful of these picks, whether it is Robinson, who I like, right? Maybe you thought Sky Moore, they take him seemingly a little bit earlier than maybe they had to, right? Azudu, a little bit sooner than maybe you had to. Now, some guys ended up falling for them on their board, but it does make you wonder a little bit, were the Giants as as prepared and detailed as they possibly could have been? Just from the standpoint of, this guy's out there doing work, but I'm taking it with a grain of salt when I see him come in with that information. Or, or arguably maybe saying, if he says he really likes this guy, maybe go ahead and knock him down half a round, right? So interesting to see how these players pan out and ultimately that this is again, the step-by-step process of Joe Shane fully taking over this organization. Last rumor that's going around about all this, because people kick thing, kick dirt on people. Once that, once they're finally out of the building, they're saying the rumors are flying that Joe Shane leaked specific information. To yeah. Chris this, was, Pettit, this is the most interesting which, and damaging, which, which finds, finds find I find fascinating. One being that we're shopping Kadarius Tony, which ends up all of a sudden magically going to Pat Leonard, and Pat Leonard is reporting it as fact, like it's definitely going to happen. And Pat Leonard has been hounding Joe Shane for the last like six interviews, being like, "Please tell me that I'm right. Tell me that I'm right." 
That's one. The second one is all these reports about how the Giants love Charles Cross and how all of a sudden the Vegas betting odds moved Malik Willis up to be drafted at number five by the Giants. These are all things that that like we were all like, huh, what? That doesn't make any sense for the Giants. Yet there's rumors that these were the types of things that in meetings with Chris Pettit that Joe Shane was potentially saying like, hey, we really like this. Maybe we'll do this. And this was the way for him to smell that rat in the building to be able to say, this guy is leaking information that we don't want to get out. And here, and the last, the last note on this is that makes, it makes total sense, right? Who, who's leaking information. So you, you'd lay the little bread crumb trail out there. The only other side of that though, is that it makes sense to leak out information like that to help keep some of your best prospects up on the board, right? Having but both can be true. Both can be exactly. true. That's what I mean. Like, so right. Like both things can be true. It can be terrible that Pettit is leaking it. And also it can be beneficial to the giants and Joe Shane to say, maybe we do like Charles cross a lot, right? Maybe these are prospects that we're interested in. Maybe we do want to send a message to Katarius Tony about getting into camp. We really don't plan on trading him or fielding offers, but we wouldn't hate it if right. So this is kind of the beauty of, and I, this, I think this is smart by, by Joe Shane or the entire organization. It's always good to attach a couple more negative traits to the guy as he's heading out the door to say, and there are a lot of bad things we saw here. You can all follow that back to this guy in particular. So it's, Listen, it's a positive overall, and again, my big thing is Joe Shane gets to make this decision, and you don't hear John Mara rebuking it. Well, and the thing about Chris Pettit and why he he rose up tremendously throughout the organization too, he's credited with uh, you know undrafted free agent signings just like Victor Cruz, and it goes to show if you find one of those diamonds in the rough and you beat 31 other teams or scouting teams and you bring in a guy that could be a, a pro bowler, you get a lot of staying power within the organization. You get a lot of clout. And that it speaks to how important it is to get these drafts right, but also the secondary market of undrafted free agents, how it could really change, you know, perceptions of different personnel internally. And on the note of undrafted free agents and the Giants death chart, a quick quote here from Joe Shane. As soon as the draft is over and we can start working on that, referring to undrafted free agents, we will. We still have defensively, I think is where we are going to have to add. Uh, reportedly told him on Saturday, and uh, this is following, they're making their final pick at 182. Again, when we got here, where the roster was, we had to add a lot of pieces, and there's only so many resources. So we did the best we could this weekend, and we'll continue to do that in free agency. That really, to me, does speak to how active the Giants were in the undrafted free agency market. They got some really key players in here. I'm just going to mention them kind of in totality here Um, As far as bringing in more depth, the primary purpose of most of these players is turning over maybe a little bit of the back end of the roster. And then, of course, the practice squad as well. Right. So when we think about names like uh, Platzgummer, right, the old the old international running back, he may not find his way across there. When your boy Rice and John at tight end, he may not make it right. Or Alex Bachman, guys like that, that we've heard of and had their names in our minds for a few years. They could quickly go by the wayside. The Giants uh, ended up signing, I mean, uh, I'm talking about a ton, along with rumored minicamp tryouts, uh, which will be happening next week for the New York football Giants. So they brought in, uh, let's see, they gave themselves two defensive linemen, two defensive tackles, so four defensive players across the front. They brought in an edge rusher in Fox out of North Carolina, another place that Joe Shane had obviously visited, brought in a couple of extra defensive backs as well, a safety, and then a couple of wide receivers like Dalen Baldwin out of Michigan. And to go along with, as I mentioned, John, for you, uh, uh, Jeremiah Hall out of Oklahoma and also Austin Allen, who's big. So I I wanted to make sure I mentioned him because he's enormous. He's like 6'7", 6'8". So I figured you like a tall tight end on the practice squad. He's 6'8". He he can be your guy. He's tremendously tall. 
That, that's it. That's all. That's all that Andy needs to hear, right? I have I have my needs at wide receiver sometimes, um, but ultimately we'll flesh out even a couple of these guys because I think there are value for them on this roster. But there's two players in particular. I'm just going to hit quickly. Tyrone Truesdale out of Florida, a defensive tackle, big body, plays in the middle. Again, we talked about this going to the draft. Not a lot of depth there across that defensive front. So he's a player that I think the real knock on him from a scouting standpoint was shorter arms. So a little bit hard can get, you know, kind of pushed off because he can't extend. So stiff arms can be an issue for him for running backs coming out of the backfield. But he occupies, bear hugs, wraps up, can be disruptive in the middle. I like him a lot. I think that he has a real chance here as we move towards the mini camps uh, in the upcoming weeks. But the other player, Andy, that we both landed on here for for you'll you'll break down him as a player because you did the research, and then I'll explain how important he could be. Yeah, so uh, I think that you know the defensive line. They're one of these guys that from the undrafted group is is potentially going to crack the roster. Like there is a, oh, a yeah. chance because of just just the lack of depth that we have there after after letting you know Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill, all these different guys go over the over the years. There there is an opening there for one of these guys to show up, play hard during training camp, and make this fi- final roster. But turning on to the other side of the ball, we mentioned and surprised the Giants didn't draft a QB or a running back. You know, they said that in Daniel Jones, we trust this year. In Saquon Barkley, we trust this year. But they did go out and make a priority signing in Jay Sean Corbin, the running back out of Florida State. And Adam, he is very, very interesting. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts. Let me give a little background for the people on him. So so Jay Sean went to Texas A&M. He was a, you know, a, a good player and a contributor for a top 20 program there. He had a terrible, terrible hamstring injury. Like, almost off the bone type of hamstring injury. Not like a, Hey, I'm out two weeks. I'll run again. Like <laughs> it ends my season. I need to just let it sit. I can barely walk type of injury. And because of that, you know, Texas A&M is bringing in top 10, you know, recruiting classes constantly. He kept falling further and further down the depth chart. And so with that, he transfers to Florida state, gets himself back into, you know, healthy game playing shape and was great for them. You know, it took him a year to really get his get his feet under him. But the last season, he he started 12 games, had almost 1,200 all-purpose yards, eight touchdowns. The guy can make people miss in the open field. He's incredible. You know, pretty noteworthy. The two longest runs in the ACC this year were by Jay Sean Corbin, a 75er and an 89-yarder. So, you know, the knock on him and the reason why he didn't get drafted is because in the combine, in some of his athletic stuff, you know, wearing gym shorts, he really didn't pop. You know, he basically had a four five forty. You know, some of some of his bench press was uninspiring. So all that stuff kind of dropped him down. But man, he seems like a really intriguing prospect, especially given the way the running back room sits currently for the Giants. Oh, you better believe it, man. I'm going to get into what it could look like on the roster and then also uh, some of the players in and around him in terms of the draft here. But you could be hearing something like this along the way across this offseason, looking into those preseason games. That is him breaking one off there against Notre Dame here for Florida State. And as we say, you mentioned the state of the current roster for the New York football Giants. I'm going to tell you right now, they brought in Williams from Buffalo. He's a practice squad back-end roster player. We know we have the holdover in Gary Brightwell from the previous regime's draft class who couldn't really crack or get anything done either. And then you think about um, even taking a look at a guy like Platzgummer who's on you know, the practice squad. Again, international guy, already 25 years old. I'm going to make the case right now that Corbin can be, should be, 
likely will be the third running back on the opening day roster for the New York football giants. The only knock that I saw on him from a scouting standpoint, is like, he can run a little high. I mean, listen, it's all, it's all in the devils in the details here, but as you say, the injuries can really slow down where a prospect looks on the board. Potentially. The other thing that I noticed was you go inside the draft board here, the giants end up picking up a player. You scroll around Davis price. He went to San Francisco. He was the 28th running back on the board ahead of Corbin, but behind Corbin, you had Horvath go to the Chargers. You had Harris go to the Patriots. You had Spooner Connor go to the Jaguars, right? So there's a lot of guys that are signing on with other teams. They're all right in the range around this player. And for me, the short term is he obviously has some explosiveness to him, doesn't have, you know, tape speed, has football speed, right? Can get away from guys, can get things done. I think he looks like he has a good amount of power, good amount of strength. And if you're looking for a compliment and a safety valve here, someone with experience at the college level, should something happen to Saquon Barkley injury-wise, we know what Brita brings to the table, speed, burst, pass catcher. This kid had, there's no reason why this kid should not be looked at as being capable of being on this depth chart going into the regular season. 6.2 yards per carry in the ACC Power 5 Conference. That's good for second among all running backs in the ACC. He has the ability to pick up big, chunky yards. As it, you know, and, and the thing that I find fascinating about this, and I'm understanding Joe Shane and Brian Dable's philosophy more and more with the guys that they br brought in. W Wondell Robinson is fast. He wasn't the fastest wide receiver in the draft, right? Like that, that wasn't his thing. It was his shiftiness, his ability to make people miss like his, his vision in, in space were the things that, that are like, wow, this guy's great. I see a lot of that in Jay Sean Corbin as well, where it's like his, his 40 time won't pop off the screen, but he just has this knack when he's one-on-one -on -one with a guy, like he's going to beat that guy with all the other abilities he has. And it makes it fascinating to me when you think about Kadarius, Tony, Wandale Robinson, Jay Sean Corbin, they all have very similar traits where it's, you're not a blazing 40 guy track star athlete. You're a guy that's a football player that understands the game, understands angles and can get players to miss in space. And that seems to be the recurring theme of what Dable and Shane are looking for in offensive weapons. And by the way, just to add on to that, I a hundred percent agree with you, right? We're trying again, you're trying to turn this thing over, bring your guys into the building, your type of players over on CBS.com. There was also an article out there, which was ranking the top undrafted free agent signings, uh, this was over by uh, Chris Trapizo, and this was done. came out yesterday. And like as you would assume, one of the first ones was Justin Ross, Clemson product. We talked about him when we were scouting wide receivers, saying, "Ugh, like, you know, something, something ain't right here." Big prospect coming out of high school, never quite cracked the production at the college level. He went undrafted, and will look to catch on there. Obviously, when you go to the Chiefs, you certainly can feel like you're going to have every opportunity. But the third on the list was one Jashawn Corbin, right? Because again, it's about Saquon Barkley healthy. How long will he stay that way? And I just want to make sure I hit his note here. As you said, only ran a 4.6 speed here, but showcased at the pro day, has contact balance, has elusiveness that's above average by NFL running back standards. And he's naturally gifted runner that seems to find the creases in the hole. So to your point, just guys that, that seem to know the smart right football play to make. And if you can do that, if you have a higher football IQ, chances are it actually makes up for maybe some la being less athletic, right? Less physically gifted necessarily because you're getting there half a step sooner because you can see the hole or because you know how to run behind the line. You know how to adjust to where the defense is lining up, right? So all these things matter. And I, I just, again, 
there'll be other guys here that we want to talk about, but he easily to me is one that comes in with all the, all the opportunity in the world, especially for where he went. Yeah. You mentioned Gra Gary Brightwell. I'd be shocked if Gary Brightwell still on this roster being a late yeah. round pick that never cracked, you know, the, the lineup. It doesn't seem to fit the, the scheme. Antonio Williams comes over from the Buffalo Bills, So has familiarity with Shane and Dayball. So that's going to be a tough hill for him to overcome. Uh, but the athletic does a great job. You know, Dean, uh, I think it's Brugler. Um, hmm. does a really good job ranking all the players up to like 300 or 400 different players. His feedback on Jay Sean was basically, he doesn't have the, the ideal burst by NFL standards, but he offers patience, vision, and pass catching versatility to potentially round out an NFL backfield. And when I hear that, I'm like, yep, that sounds perfect for exactly what we need. Right. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. And when you think that the giants are improving their offensive line, you can look at a player like this with those traits and say, Oh, good patience well that can work if you have a if you have a consistent offensive line right unlike years past so very excited about him the other piece of this then is to take a look at a couple of angles here we said we we're going to talk on about the depth chart just overall you know we, we mentioned some of these names here maybe we will see corbin on the roster there we mentioned the number of defensive linemen that got brought in i'm just going to like highlight the fact that when you think about guys towards the back end of things I'm talking about the Justin Hilliards of the world. I'm talking about the Jaron Williams in the secondary, uh, the Jihad Wards, right? Potentially the Brunsons, obviously. We said Tay Crowder was starting. He could certainly at least slide back in the depth chart here. And then inside on the offensive line, drafted three, brought in more offensive linemen as undrafted free agents as well. And this is where the, the Wes Martins, right? And the, uh, what are we, Corey Cunninghams, right? Some of the names you don't even remember hearing really come up there, like, this is what you're doing by trimming the fat off this roster and just bringing in your depth guys. Even if they're not going to rise up and be significant contributors, you still want to have your players in the room. So you're going to see a lot of this. We mentioned a third roster gets created in the fourth through seventh round this year, specifically for the Giants. I'm not going to be shocked if you see nearly 50% almost of roster turnover come here over the course of the offseason predicated on a new regime. The only thing they're going to have to do, though, Andy, is sign those free agents, uh, those draft picks and those undrafted free agents. And this is where it gets a little interesting. Coming into the draft, it was reported that by Sunday, come hell or high water, one way or the other, James Bradbury will not be a giant. If they can get a trade, great. And if not, they're just going to outright release him. But I'll say something that I consistently brought up over the course of this offseason and the conversation around Bradbury was, I get it, but if you listen to the way Joe Shane talks about not wanting to take on take on dead cap, right? They made some concessions around adjusting uh, contracts and, and trying to create a little bit of cap flexibility for themselves. It's it's over $10 million in dead cap if they outright release James Bradbury. The market has not been there for them, and that's understandable. But the way that I thought it made sense to look at here, and I'll first get your thoughts, Andy, just around, do you think do you think that there that there's gonna that a trade's gonna materialize? Let's just put it there, right? Because I think the other side of it is far more interesting from what the Giants can do to manage this this money. But do you think anyone is coming knocking at the door at this point if it hasn't already been done already? I still think that there is a chance for a trade, Adam. And and the only the only thing that I will say about that is can the Giants save more money than outright releasing him? If the answer is yes through a trade there could be a vehicle in which this could happen where the Giants say we'll eat some of the money on his contract, but we end up saving more by trading him than if, if we outright release them and give us a conditional sixth or seventh round pick. Like there still is that world. I, I don't think it's, I thought it was likely to happen before. I don't necessarily know if that's the case anymore though. Yeah. Like the pre the pre June one trade would be a little North of nine and a little over 12 million in terms of cap savings. So that's, what you're talking about playing those numbers. The post June one is only eight, three in dead cap with 13, five available in cap savings. 
So there's some flexibility there to your point. And, and is it worth it to play in those numbers there when we talk about um, trying to get a, an extra asset, right? Give me a six round pick next year. At least I have another player. And, we, and we've talked about the way Joe Shane operated in this year's draft class. My, my argument would be, and I'm not saying that again, I don't know somewhere in the weeds is the answer to this, to this conundrum. But you see what the Giants did. We talked about the top of the draft. If if Sauce Gardner had been there, maybe that would have been the pick for them. But they couldn't get him. And then you go down, you still get two great players we know at the top. Then you make the play for the wide receiver in the second. All of a sudden, by the time you bring in a cornerback and a safety, it's a little bit, you're in the middle rounds now. So they probably still feel like they need more value. They brought in a couple more on the undrafted free agent market as well. The world where... Because you don't want the dead cap money and because no one's knocking down your door, keeping James Bradbury around, maybe going into the season and seeing if something develops going towards the trade deadline, right? Get him back out on the field. He had a little bit of a down year this past season for the Giants. So let him show that he still has it. Maybe you actually end up being able to push that value back up to a fifth, maybe a late fourth. And that means, though, finding the north of 12 and a half, 13 million dollars that you need to sign these draft picks. And it's just worth mentioning. When you scroll through the roster here, this is where two parts, and we'll get to the wide receiver here in a second. We're not going to be talking about the uh, Saquon Barkley money here, obviously. He's a part of this roster going forward. But you still have decisions that you can make around the Nick Gates of the world. There's a lot of, the, you know, he's worth almost $2.5 million with minimum dead cap. Uh, we're going to talk about Darius Slayton money here in a second. Even a guy like O'Shane Eximenez, you've brought in all these other players inside of that linebacking group. He's a $200,000 dead cap with almost a million that you can free up in cap space. Um, Matt Pert is going to be a name that's going to get talked about over this offseason. You're going to hear them talk a little bit, maybe about a Darnay Holmes, depending on how camp goes. And then you even get in on the backside of it, I thought was, was interesting. Guys like Wes Martin, Trent Harris, they have no dead cap and almost a million dollars that you can clear off the books. So as you walk through these, let alone a guy like Corey Cunningham as well, like, right, I'm throwing in all these names. You can add yourself up with everything that you've done in the draft and all the undrafted free agents you brought in. You're already going to have to cut a lot of guys. So there's this world where you can get towards that 10 to 12 million that you need on players that while you might not do it this second, right? And maybe you lose some competition value over the course of minicamp. If I can get to that number and hold on to Bradbury now and see what happens again, he still has value. He's not a perfect fit in the system. Wink Martindale can still find ways to use him. And then maybe you get value better return there ahead of, ahead of the deadline. You, you're absolutely right there. And the it. reason why, no, Adam, this is, this is a, a great thing to point out because we pointed to James Bradbury, the single one player that you can trade or release and free up a bunch of cash. We get that. But you pointed out Nick Gates at two and a half million dollars. We don't even know how he's going to come back from injury. They signed Feliciano. They, they have signed multiple offensive linemen. They've signed multiple undrafted free agent linemen. So yeah. we're seeing Nick Gates get to two and a half million. One name that you didn't mention that very easily could be part of that list is Shane Lemieux. Shane Lemieux only has 50K of yes, dead cap. Yes. You, you can save 800 grand by releasing Shane Lemieux if you think that all of your other signings push him that much further down the depth chart. Those two names alone. And Bredesen even, as well, by the way, falls into that group too. Zero dead cap, 900,000. And someone we just mentioned in the running back room, Gary Brightwell, 134,000 dead for 735 in cap room, right? Like guys that you don't think are going to be a part of this team. Go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. So when, when you talk about Gary Brightwell, Bredesen, Nick Gates, and Shane Lemieux as four guys that you feel like you've been able to replace them on the roster, you've already made $5 million without even addressing the wide receiver room yet. 
And that is why when we talk about things that don't matter necessarily or what's going on for other teams around the league, especially this time of year, who have we drafted? Who are we bringing in? How do we make this team better? Unless one of those players happens to be Nuke Hopkins out there with the Arizona Cardinals, who's going to be suspended for performance enhancing drugs. It's the, it's the, it's that old story, right? I can't remember what happened. I was taking a supplement, but they said if you inject it into you, it just works better. I don't. We don't know the details of it. The bottom, listen, and sometimes these things happen. I'm really not concerned about the who, what, where, when, why. Only that Christian Kirk signed elsewhere in this offseason for a big contract. They obviously made the trade for Hollywood Brown from the Ravens, but a short-term stopgap option, a guy that has speed and can stretch the field for you, my, my curiosity is, is Darius Slayton someone that has cachet around the league enough to say it's worth a sixth round pick? And if you're the Giants, seventh round pick, right? Whatever it may be, is there something there that's worth it where the Giants could offload that money and give that little solution in the short term to the Arizona Cardinals, knowing he's in his final year of his contract just to get the money off the books? Like, do you think that, like, we know Darius Slayton. Does anybody else care about Darius Slayton in the NFL? Well, that's that's a great question. You know, I we we had posed this out on Twitter the second that um, Nook got got suspended. It's like maybe this is a, a landing spot. You know, Jeffrey Turner, a good follower uh, of OGP, came yes. out and basically said, "Oh, well, they traded for Hollywood Brown in the first round, so they're set. They're going to be okay in, in, until Hopkins comes back." There's other reports that are coming out here that are saying the reason why they traded for Hollywood Brown is they don't even know if Hopkins will play again for the Cardinals. And I don't know if I'm like, you know, making this an interesting find for you, Adam, but the reports are, you know, he's going to be 30. He missed six games to injury last year. He's missing six games. Now you're paying him almost, you know, 18 to $20 million. He's going to want a new contract after all these other contracts. You just got Hollywood Brown. You're going to have to pay Hollywood Brown. Like, like you don't trade a first round pick for Hollywood Brown to then let him walk in free agency. He's going to get 20 to $25 million. Are you really willing to pay? Hopkins 20 to 25 million Hollywood Brown 20 to 25 million have Rondell Moore as a, as a second round pick AJ Green's making 4 million are you going to put 65 million dollars in your wide receiver room or do you get some capital back trading Hopkins to somewhere like I don't know the Packers and you tra- and you bring in a, a cheaper guy for 2 million dollars of Darius Slayton knowing that you're going to have to pay Kyler Murray 40 million dollars next year like there's a there's a real situation where there's there becomes a need very quickly even after trading for Hollywood for the for the Cardinals yeah that, no that's incredibly interesting I know it's like you talk about we know the quarterback wants to get paid we know that the Cardinals are like right on the fringe of either being all in to win or possibly taking a step back and arguably because of this suspension it may reframe the way they looked at Hopkins right because you go from saying that ah, will be all in this year let's go for it his suspension is for six games maybe it gets reduced we all know that that's how that can work with the NFL but where will the Cardinals be six weeks from now and that it's what's interesting about that, I would say, is where do they stand as the season unfolds, right? Where are they in a record standpoint? Where are they in their division? If they feel like it's a little bit of a toss-up as far as it going, you know, going right or going wrong, um, that could dictate what the Cardinals are willing to do in those last two weeks before the trade deadline, right? And as we say, things can be adjusted. Hopkins is going to appeal it. That's always, that's always the process, right? Hopkins will appeal the suspension. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But you bring up a really good point, man. It, if you can get value now and you're the Cardinals and you can find a way to stem the tide here, it could be worth it. The question just comes down to, again, is Darius Slayton an attractive enough option where you're willing to give up an asset to get him, right? Because there's there's going to be undrafted free agents you could go after or other trades. And maybe there's still a player we could take a look at on Arizona 
could be worth swap, lower the salary and bring in something the Giants may need, right? So there's there's a lot of ways that they can make this work and still clear some cap, but that's a big chunk out there north of $2 million for the Giants that they can get. Adam, I have a question for you, and this is a perfect segue to, to at the end of the day it for us, as we like to say over here. So sure. Darius Slayton, it costs just almost $2.5, $2.6 million against the cap. He only counts for 50K of dead cap right now. So the Giants can free up $2.5 million on Darius Slayton. Even if a trade partner doesn't come through or doesn't come out here, is there a world where you see a guy like Richie James making 900K or CJ Board making a million dollars where they outright release Darius Slayton, save $1.5 million, and you say, Richie James and 1.5 million is worth more than Darius Slayton the way that we're constructing the roster. Yeah, it's interesting too because even CJ Board you mentioned, he's also a zero dead cap hit if they released right. him. So even so though Richie James bring yeah. him back. Exactly, like all these guys are there. I I think again, it's why you invest a high draft pick in Robinson, right? Because no matter what, you knew you needed more here adding on there with the injury concerns around Sterling Shepard coming back. So I I'll be very curious where the deadlines come up where the money matters most, when they need to clear the money to sign everybody and saying, hey, if we can, eh, Richie James looks pretty good. Okay, see you later. And by the way, you know what? It's a really good point. Honestly, man, if nothing else materializes, it's not like the James Bradbury situation where the dead cap is so heavy handed. It's just free money essentially sitting there for you. I won't be shocked if they release him. He's a fifth round pick from the previous regime. And if I'm going to say that, as I've said all off season around what it have a new GM, you have to stick to it now where you need the money. And this player means what to you? You're not resigning. Really What's his maximum value this year? Stretching the field a bit? Okay. Kenny Galladay, you got to find a way to earn, you know, to earn your keep here, along with Kadarius Tony and the other talented players they have there. As we say, Robinson, James, and 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 listen, a, a collection of tight ends now that look like they should be able to do some things offensively too. My goodness, friends, we have a lot to still get through as the week progresses on. We'll dive deeper in on the draft picks. As we said, there's a couple of guys we want to go inside the linebacking room. We want to go inside the defensive front, inside the secondary specifically. I think those three areas are very interesting to talk about who's on the roster, who's coming and going. I think a version of surprising cut or surprising starter is going to be a great little game that we'll play coming up later in this week. Uh, again, you find us over or on social media at One Giant Podcast. You can follow Andy at a Mac 214. You follow me, Adam Armbrecht. It's all over there for you. Like the YouTube channel, subscribe, get the podcast where you get those needs fulfilled. Again, we'll be talking all things New York football giants breaking down this roster. And until next time, friends, as Andy would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go big blue. 